Chelsea Fairless and Chelsea doesn't want to talk right now because we have to stop the podcast in a few minutes so that she can buy a candle and she's feeling a certain way about it (laughs) okay this is really like not what I want to talk about but I'm someone that really loves expensive candles and has certain favorites and I chase after certain candles and one candle I really love is the boy smells Casey Musgraves candle which I'm not actually doing spawn for They have been out of the Magnum version, which I would like for the holidays for a very long time. And it goes on sale in like three minutes. So I don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about for three minutes. (laughs) You know what we could talk about? The fucking travesty of Chris Pratt. I don't know these people. Oh, yeah. Being cast as Garfield. Look, you like expensive candles and animated cats. Well, I just like have always felt a certain kinship with Garfield, like also being like somewhat antisocial, kind of lazy, loves lasagna. You know, it's I like connected with him as a child. So the fact that it's Chris Pratt and not like Christopher Walken or Fran Leibovitz or something like does Garfield have to be a man? Like, is that really that relevant to... To the voicing of it. That is sad that, you know, Fran Lebowitz didn't get that glow up from the Martin Scorsese Netflix (laughs) series. That seems like a natural pathway. Yeah, she should be doing more voice acting. (sighs) Come on, Pixar, call her. When I hear shit like that, it just reminds me that everything is wrong with the world and there's no justice. That's true, but you made me just wonder, like, where is Christopher Walken? I know. Remember how he was everywhere all the time for our entire lives? And now it's like, I don't think I've, I can't remember the last thing he was in. Should we start? Remember that there was that podcast. It was like Finding Richard Simmons. Like we started a podcast Finding Christopher Walken. Yeah, I guess he's just chilling, but I'm surprised he hasn't been roped into some prestige television situation. Yeah. How is he not in that uh, docu-series about the Sackler family and Oxycontin? <laughs> How was he not in the Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel? Did you watch that? Of course. Oh, oh. oh guys. <laughs> it's candle time. We'll be right back. Yes. All right. Okay, guys, we're back. Chelsea got the candle. I've secured the candle, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> it's coming in uh, in four to six business days. I thought you were going to say four to six weeks, which would sort of negate the uh, holiday point. I'm getting all of my ducks in the row for the holidays early. Like, I've, I'm ordering all of the Christmas shit now. And my house is going to be a fucking winter wonderland that will smell like Casey Musgraves. Yeah, what are the notes of this <laughs> Not candle? actually. Um, let me see. Okay. The notes are... Incense, black pepper, alimi, what the fuck is that? Guiac, I don't even know what the fuck that is. <laughs> Raspberry, tonka, amber, smoked papyrus. That's Ooh. a fun one. And some other shit that I can't pronounce. All right. God bless. Thank God. That was really weighing on me. On to Sex in the City. Yeah, let's do it. So there was kind of a bonkers Daily Mail exclusive article where... A source, a very verbose source, gave many quotes about what actually happens to Samantha, which is she's not dead. Which we assumed. Instead, Carrie and her have had a falling out because Carrie fired Samantha as her publicist, and because of that, they no longer talk. I wonder what the drama was over. I mean, I think this is cool doing something that's ripped from the headlines to a degree. Why not? As the source says, in the words of Oscar Wilde, life imitates art. Was I the source? Like, what what are these quotes? (laughs) This source just went on to brainyquotes.com. Is that the quote website? Yeah, I mean, it would be bad business to kill Samantha off. Like, given what happened with the third Sex in the City film, I can understand why Sarah Jessica Parker and Michael Patrick King would have some lingering resentment towards Kim Cattrall and maybe not be so down to have her back. But at the same time, they're producing the show. They know that her being on the show only makes the show stronger. I think the whisper campaign, not so whispery campaign to get Kim Cattrall 
back is starting now because another quote is like we'll we'll announce eventually that the show will have a second season this isn't a one-off this will be a series uh it will be quite a while between the first and second series so this must be a british person because in america we say seasons and in the uk you say series Ooh, as sarah so just- you're really just like wait what's the expression about foxes and holes and smoke I'm smoking out the foxhole? What do you mean? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> I can't find what this is. What does smoke me out mean sexually? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's like smoke someone out. Oh, I guess it's smoke something out of the hole. So I'm, I'm com- combining the foxhole with-, with the smoking someone out of a hole. <laughs> I'm like smoking. Okay, we can't keep this in. We absolutely are. You're going to figure out who this source is, and they will be punished. Because how many British insiders can be on set? Yeah, with access to this kind of information. I think they're starting now to try to get Kim Cattrall back by doing all these quotes. Like, um, on set, Kim has been missed by everyone. The cast and crew love her and hope she returns. I don't know. I think they've seen the comments under every Sex in the City post. It's like, where's Samantha? Yeah. The door will never close on her. Close on her? <laughs> Ouch. She is an important part of the franchise. Well, I think they're realizing that now. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Oh, also, I had a dream about Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Go on. I, I don't know. I just went over to her apartment, and it was like this decaying mid It was like Miss Havisham. It was actually like really rude, like my idea of Kim Cattrall in my dream, which I know is like not how she actually is. Right. She was like wearing a bikini and like showing me around her house. That's all that happened. So if Kim Cattrall was a real housewife? Basically. Would you have died in the dream if Isabelle Huppert was also there? Because they're besties. Oh my God. Yeah, I would have. God damn it, subconscious. Show me what I really want. I know. I need more Isabelle Huppert dreams. All right. In non-Kim Cattrall Sex in the City news, SJP posted some spawn con for Airbnb this week. They have recreated Carrie's New York apartment, uh, and it is available to rent, but the catch is is that it's only available on November 12th and 13th. So only two people get to stay there. Like they've staged this entire fucking apartment for two nights, which is depressing because no one's going to be able to stay there. And I'm realizing why it's $23 a night. It's because, as they say in the ad, it's been 23 years since... Oh, this is as if Sarah Jessica Parker wrote it. It's been 23 years since I first stepped into Carrie's shoes, and now it's your turn. It looks pretty legit. They were clearly very diligent about making it look as realistic as possible. Like they had a legit looking like triptych of photos above her bed. They did a good job of recreating Aiden's ugly ass chair. They had the rhinestone Eiffel Tower bag, which in the past I incorrectly attributed to Judith Lieber. It is in fact by Timmy Woods. I'm sorry, I can't. Don't hate me. But there was a few other things that weren't to period. You know what I mean? Like the layout? Well, they can only do so much, right? Like they're not going to literally build Carrie's apartment. Well, So the layout was a little bit different. The apartment is also in Chelsea, not the West Village or the Upper East Side. I think the bigger problem is, look, no hate on SponCon. We love very obvious SponCon. We love sponsored content in general. Yeah. However, it is a bit curious that to promote this, they didn't do basically a carry apartment experience, like just get a warehouse space. Like there's plenty of retail spaces that have gone out of business during the pandemic. Yeah, put it in the old Britney Spears zone warehouse by the Grove. And then charge tickets like we would go. That's the thing that sucks is that it's so exclusionary to everyone. And also Airbnb didn't slide into our DMs to ask if we would like to stay there. Because only two people can stay there, I feel like they've already picked those people. Even though on Oh, of course. Even though on Monday you can book it. Which is so stupid. Imagine like all of the people trying to book this apartment that will just be disappointed. Not us. Well, also, even though, again, like I said, they did do a, a good job of recreating the apartment, I was annoyed that they did not have the correct laptop. And I know that they don't have the correct laptop because I just bought the correct laptop on eBay two days ago. To be fair, we should say we had to rebuy. <laughs> okay, so 
Carrie's actual laptop is a Apple G3 PowerBook M757-2400. We had to rebuy it because, I don't know, we bought one on eBay like years ago. Was it for the campaign video that we did for Cynthia Nixon? Yeah, where we have John Early typing as if he's Carrie Bradshaw. We bought it as a prop for that. And we're doing a shoot right now and we had to send it out of state and the package got lost. So we've lost the laptop. We had to buy another one. Well, I also love the idea that it was probably a porch pirate that took it. And I'm just imagining (laughs) them opening it and being like, what the fuck? It doesn't work, by the way. No, it doesn't work. But it was funny because when we were taking it to New York... We carried it on and we had to put it like in the little plastic bins where you're supposed to put your laptops and the TSA agents were like, what the fuck is this? Because we had our modern laptops and then we had this old 1997 uh, power book. I'm just saying God is in the details. Uh, And I know that there are several perfectly good G3 power book M7572s on eBay right now. Just saying. Here are things that you get with this Airbnb, Chell. A virtual greeting at check-in from Parker herself and a narration reminiscent of each episode's thought-provoking intro. Which, does that mean that there's a pre-film thing of Sarah Jessica Parker being like, I couldn't help but wonder if you'll enjoy. Yeah, but why are they bringing the intro into this? Uh, It sounds like they could have used some Sex and the City experts like ourselves. (sighs) Why can't we be hired as consultants for this kind of shit? HBO Max, we're here. I think because every company has like a sex in the city obsessed person that's like more than willing to take this on. I don't know. I think there's a person in every office where they're like, that's the fashion one. They probably know what's going on. Yeah. I also noticed that packed into the wardrobe, they say, includes her beloved tutu from the opening credits and shoes from SJP's line. But do you get to keep them? That's a wonderful question. You do get to, they say, play dress up in her closet. And I think this leads to... Sounds very Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) But this leads to someone left us a voicemail on the hotline this week that gets into an interesting continuity question. I don't know why it has never been mentioned about as much as Carrie loves clothes and is into fashion... How much she smoked and smoked in her apartment and what her apartment probably smelled like and made her clothes smell like and her hair and everything in there for as much of a smoker as she was. I'm just curious what your take is on that. I've never consciously thought about this before, but now I can't not think about this. Like that fur that she wears throughout season one, that fur must smell like a smoking room in a Holiday Inn Express or something. (laughs) Why am I talking about Holiday Inn Express again? Yeah, I wonder how many times she's at the dry cleaner. And also, when they try to get her to quit smoking in season three, no one brings up the fact of like, you're ruining your clothing. I'm also personally triggered like this because I did smoke cigarettes for a decade and I can't even comprehend how vile I must have smelled all the time. Like, yeah, how authentic is this experience? You know, is the clothing going to smell like smoke? I think not. Would we have added that detail? You better believe it. Are there shoes in the oven? (laughs) Yes, SJP collection shoes are in the oven. In non-sex in the city news... Yeah, congratulations, Chelsea. Kristen Stewart got engaged. Why are you congratulating me? Is that not what if we're... If anything, sp- I'm sad that she's off the market. Is this not what you're supposed to do with fellow lesbians? <laughs> Congratulate you when other lesbians get engaged? I don't know. I'm not saying I don't ship this relationship. I'm saying I'm on the fence about shipping it. Okay. I think... Maybe that's because I really liked when she dated Stella Maxwell. Maybe it's also because I kind of always thought that she would end up with her Mr. Big, you know, which is, to me is her first girlfriend uh, or her first public girlfriend. Remember Alicia Cargyle, the personal assistant? I thought you were going to say Robert Pattinson because there's somewhere... What were they called? Like Robston stands? There is like, what are you talking about? There's basically QAnon people that ship them so hard when they were together that they invented a whole narrative like they have a child, but no one knows about it. And like they were eventually going to get back together. I hope those people are okay. 
Anyway, while promoting her new film Spencer on the Howard Stern show, she revealed that she and her girlfriend, now fiance, got engaged because she had gone on his show a couple years ago and was like, I want to marry this girl. And he was like, what happened with that? And she was like, basically, we had to have a conversation about who was going to propose because I wanted to be proposed to. Yeah, you would think she would be like the butch one, but I don't think she is. They're such L.A. lesbians, you know what I mean? Like, they're like... <laughs> Because, like, white lesbians in L.A., it's like they're all wearing, like, crop tops and beanies and, like, sweatpants and shit, you know? It's like their vibe is very... Have I ever taken you to Lesbian Night at the Abbey? Because everyone there looks like this. No, you haven't. How dare you? I don't know if it's back post-pandemic, but we should do that sometime. Well, she does want a very chill wedding. She says that she plans to wear Levi's and a t-shirt with a tuxedo printed on it that's a crop top and be barefoot. Okay, this I hate. <laughs> Can you imagine like the, the Chanel like PR girl yeah. being like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm just trying to imagine them taking her notes and like making a white tweed jacket with like a bow tie on it about like maybe this. And she's like, no, it's crazy because Kristen Stewart like is an incredibly hot person. She ha- and she yeah. has that sort of like young Leonardo DiCaprio pussy posse energy about her, <laughs> which is really, really rare and really, really hot. But the style is not there. And particularly with the uh, her ongoing partnership with Chanel, I just think it's such a weird look on her, you know, because they'll never just like put her in a nice like Chanel tuxedo. They'll put her in a Chanel tuxedo, but it's also a romper. And the shortest romper you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, and I'm not saying that she should dress like a stone butch because I I see the feminine side and she definitely does have that sort of like Coco Chanel-esque dark glamour about her, but there's something about it that just doesn't land at the end of the day. Also, what I learned in this interview is that I guess Guy Fieri officiates a lot of gay weddings. Okay, why did you pronounce his name like that? Because I was watching a clip this morning on TikTok from the Today Show where they asked her about it. And I think, was it Hoda? Referred to him as Guy Fieri. And then when he said his own name, there was like a real intense accent on the Fieri part. Okay, sure. But anyway, Guy Fieri is open to officiating Kristen Stewart's wedding. I think that sounds like an excellent choice. Does that mean that they have to have trash can nachos at the wedding? I hope so. In other celebrity romance news, I guess retroactive celebrity romance news. Yeah, in his new memoir out November 9th, Will Smith revealed that he fell in love with Stalker Channing on the set of the film Six Degrees of Separation. Who can blame him? I mean, I love Stalker Channing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely fell in love with Stalker Channing in Greece as a child. I mean, she has a certain je ne sais quoi. That husky voice. She's just a hot person. So this is the quote from his his memoir. Sheree and I, which is Will Smith's first wife, uh, Sheree and I were in, in the first months of our marriage with a brand new baby. And for Sheree, I can imagine that this experience was unsettling to say the least. She had married a guy named Will Smith and now she was living with a guy named Paul Poltier. That's his six degrees of separation character. And to make matters worse during shooting, I fell in love with Stalker Channing. <laughs> Who can blame him? So basically, he went so method while being this part that his character was in love with Stalker Channing, so therefore he was in love with Stalker Channing. He goes on to say, after the film wrap, Sheree and Trey, who was his first son, and I moved to LA. Our marriage was off to a rocky start. I found myself desperately yearning to see and speak to uh, to Stockard. Sounds hot. But this was totally unrequited, right? Yes, it was never consummated. There's still time. <laughs> I know, but I wonder if he and Jada, when they first opened up their marriage, he, his mind went to Stockard. <laughs> he was like... I mean, she's so fabulous. And someone that I can't believe she hasn't entered into the Ryan Murphy troupe, you know? That is a really good point. Because she's just so fabulous in everything. Do you think he saw Practical Magic and was like, fuck, she's hot? <sighs> You want to talk about we live in a world where everything's a cinematic universe and the fact that we don't have a practical magic cinematic universe is truly upsetting. I will die on this hill. 
Also, I I usually watch Practical Magic around Halloween. I didn't do it this year. I, and that that's why I feel so off kilter, I guess. Well, his memoir comes out on Tuesday. I can't wait to read what other juicy, juicy things. We talked about a profile that he did with, I think, GQ a couple of weeks ago, where the guy that wrote the article read the memoir and at least at that point, there was no mention of the entanglements and Jada and opening up the marriage. And so I wonder if that will be in this released copy. It should be. Because that's actually the difference between me buying this book and me never buying this book. Well, yeah, it's a little disconcerting that usually when these celebrity memoirs come out, there's you end up not buying it because there's so many stories about what like the juiciest parts are and like thus far we're less than a week out and it seems like the juiciest excerpt is that he fell in love with stalker channing so i don't know what's in the rest of this book it's juicy to me it's very lesbian to just have a unrequited love for stalker channing (laughs) i guess instead of hot topics this is just the like gay news portion yeah house of gucci news feels like lgbtqia adjacent It's true. I know our entire fashion block is Gucci related. So another trailer was released this week. It was a little more highbrow than the first trailer, but not by much. My hope is it's going to be high camp because I think they're all dealing with it so seriously. It is going to be high camp because I feel like Lady Gaga has put so much into this, but doesn't realize how campy it is sort of in the same way that like an Elizabeth Berkeley did in a Showgirls. Or maybe it's fabulous. I don't know. Well, I mean, Showgirls is fabulous and campy. It's true. But there always is someone that knows exactly, in these kind of films, exactly what film they're in. And I think that might unfortunately be Jared Leto, who is in full prosthetics and a fat suit. I think the most noteworthy thing about this trailer versus the previous ones is that this one has the addition of a fake Carl Lagerfeld, a fake Grace Jones, and a fake Tom Ford, none of whom have lines, but it's just fun to see. Well, they may have lines in the, in yeah, the film. Yeah, I'm sure they have lines in the film, but I, not in the trailer. I have one issue with this Bobo Tom Ford, which is he seems to not have... It's the, it's the correct widow's peak that Tom <laughs> Ford has, but he has like longer slick back hair, and I'm like, could we not have given him a shorter haircut? Like We have photos of what Tom Ford looks like it's in a, that's a very that's a very good point the man has had the same what it was what is it called the caesar's cut since you know for 30 years it's true another part that was new that i really liked seeing is the part where lady gaga is a bit more dressed down she's wearing a leather jacket her hair is pulled back she's obviously talking to a hitman that she's trying to hire to kill yeah. her husband it's giving joe calderon you know oh, what I mean? Oh, her male persona. It's, yes. It, it's that, but with just like a touch of lipstick. But it felt a little bit butch in a way that I think was um, campy and delightful. The press machine is in full effect for House of Gucci. Lady Gaga was on not one, but two covers. This time Italian Vogue and British Vogue. Is this a thing now? Yeah, and well, they also debuted simultaneously. Right. So to back it up, last month Adele was on the cover of American Vogue and British Vogue. They were announced the same day. But in that instance, there were two totally different shoots, right? There was the British Vogue one was Stephen Meisel. The American Vogue one was Alistair McClellan. In this case, it's the same team in the same shoot with two different covers. I don't know if the exact same photos are in bo- in the interior of both, but it's obviously done on the same day. And, you know, this might actually get us to a newsstand and pick up these copies. Yeah. It so- doesn't seem like she's wearing Gucci in either of these photo shoots. Yeah, you're right. I don't think she <laughs> I don't think she is. So this one, it's Mizell. It's Pat McGrath makeup. Guido Palau styled by Edward Enenfall. I prefer the Vogue Italia cover to the British Vogue because it's a very legit throwback to Vogue covers from the 60s where the covers were these really tight beauty shots that kind of aren't that common these days. And then she's wearing this like Valentino cocoon cape that looks very 60s. Yeah, well, the Vogue Italia covers better, but the British Vogue interview is just like out of this world. Is it? Is it the same interview, though? 
just one is in Italian. Maybe. I think so, which makes sense because it's like, why, why not? A lot of these quotes have been making the rounds. I'll just go through some of them. Basically, Gaga went full method and fully lived as Patricia Reggiani spoke in that thick Italian accent for nine months. Uh, lived this whole. So this is what she did during the pandemic, basically. It is. However, I love that she went full method actor. However, she declined to meet the real Patrizia Reggiani or read the House of Gucci book of which this movie is based on. Like at one okay, point, interesting. I know at one point she's like, I just started to take photos. I don't even know if Patrizia was a photographer, but I just felt like, you know, I needed to document all beautiful things. So I bought this point and shoot camera and then I deleted anything that wasn't beautiful. It's like, she's right there, my dude. You could just call her. Look, do what you got to do. If you if you got to go Daniel Day-Lewis level, why not? It's also interesting because, again, the film, and I love me some Gaga, some Adam Driver and Ridley Scott, but it does seem like something out of the Ryan Murphy-verse. Yeah. So to go this hardcore in the press about how hardcore she went is is interesting. The other, the other quote that has been getting a lot of attention as well is when she talked about singing at the inauguration in what she called a bulletproof dress. I don't think it was actually made out of Kevlar material, but I don't know if people know this about me, but if I weren't who I am today, I would have been a combat journalist. That was one of my dreams. When I was at the Capitol the day before the inauguration, I remember walking around and looking for evidence of the insurrection. Okay, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Keep that to yourself. I love when super successful celebrities talk about the other industries or careers that they would have wanted to get into because it presumes that they would have been successful in those industries. Right. Just ask Madonna. Just because she's a successful musician doesn't mean she's a successful actress. Dick Tracy notwithstanding. Yeah, I could have been a great brain surgeon if that was the path I chose for myself. Yeah, she's weird, but we love her. This interview really encapsulates the issues I have with Lady Gaga just because she swings between being self-aware and like kind of low camp to being completely unaware and it being high camp. And it's really it's hard to find footing with her. Well, you never know which Gaga you're going to get. Yeah. She also talks about making Chromatica and how she didn't know who she was anymore. And it's like, okay, but Chromatica is like the best album. Yeah, Chromatica was incredible. <laughs> so it's like, maybe you should know yourself less. Well, Chromatica also, it really did feel like she knew herself. I know. You know, she was like making the kind of music that her audience actually wants to hear, you know, her gay male audience. The saddest thing is that she couldn't tour it. Because I remember I when the pandemic happened and she delayed the release of Chromatica and we were all like, just release it. And this is when we all thought the pandemic was going to last for a couple weeks or a month or something, and then she released Chromatica. And I feel like as a society, we were like, oh, yeah, no, we need to be at a gay club dancing to this. I mean, but actually, though, we didn't. Like, it was better to have it in the absence of dance clubs than to not have dance clubs and a new Lady Gaga record. What happened was that everyone just drove around blasting it in their cars, had dance parties in their living room. Like, it was fab, and it was generous of her to release it, unlike an Adele who postponed her album for absolutely no reason at all. How do you think American Vogue feels kind of being left out of the conversation? Like, what is their November, December cover then if if Gaga's not on it? Yeah, it does seem it does seem a little odd. I don't know. Has she maybe been on too recently? Was she on for Star is Born or that moment? Yeah, but that's three years ago. It's true. This is a magazine that put Blake Lively on the cover three (laughs) times. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they have something fun in the works. So I was feeling a bit of FOBO the other night because it seemed like everyone in L.A. was either at the Perfume Genius Tame Impala show at the Hollywood Bowl or literally down the street at the Gucci Love Parade, and we were at neither. So rude that no one invited us, especially rude to you because your house is very much in between the Hollywood Bowl and Hollywood Boulevard. I could have walked right there. (laughs) But because we were so savagely excluded from the star-studded soiree, we've enlisted a roving correspondent to call in and give us the tea. He's the editor-in-chief of Interview Magazine. He's a prolific stylist. You definitely follow him on Instagram, Mel Ottenberg. Hey, this is Mel Ottenberg. I am reporting on the Gucci Love Parade for every outfit 
Uh, it was major. It was fucking glamorous. It was fucking killer. The clothes looked great. It was the full Hollywood fantasy Fantasia, Hollywood Babylon, Hollywood hookers, new wave hookers, and all the other things, and all the glamour of the 70s, and all this, and does that sound boring? I don't know, because it wasn't boring, it was fucking good, it was really, really well done, there was a lot of stuff, and the clothes were fucking great, the sunglasses were incredible, tailoring was great, tuxedos, gowns, whatever, um, the people looked great, uh, but then also the spectacle, the production of the show, like, it was just so impressive, and so well done, and the scope of being on Hollywood fucking Boulevard, watching this really good collection, I fucking gagged. I'm still gagging. I'm so impressed. I'm so hot for it. Uh, fuck. I mean, like, for real. I can't remember a more glamorous fashion moment than this in a while. Not since before all the shit has gone down and, like, whew, it was good. And then the after party was great. Mark Ronson was killer. Uh, brought it down. The food was amazing. I ate, like, five pigs in a blanket went back to the hotel. And then I ate, like, three incredible chocolate chip cookies. Like, the whole thing was just, like, beyond. It was, like... And by the way, I wouldn't, like, babble about this with all this enthusiasm if I wasn't that gassed on the clothes. Like, who cares about the production of a show in general? But this one, and because the collection was so strong, 10 out of 10. Loved it. So you know Mel was in Hollywood because he was eating children's food, which is, like, the menu of every kind of fancy restaurant here somehow. I don't know. It makes no sense. Yeah, every restaurant in Hollywood or West Hollywood that has a really great vibe always has pigs in a blanket. It's like Sunset Towers, San Vicente bungalows. Craig's literally has like buffalo chicken pizza. Like it's it's insanity. But we love it. I mean, we're trash babies. Yeah, so I'm we, not mad at it. The location was Hollywood Boulevard, which of course is one of the most iconic locations in Los Angeles. It's where the Walk of Fame is. However, it's kind of gross. It is gross. It's like the reality of it. Like on one hand, they hold the Oscars there. And on the other hand, you see like some guy dressed up as Johnny Depp, as Willy Wonka vomiting on the side of the street. You know, like that's the reality of this area. I felt for you. I can only imagine how you felt when you saw those ostrich feather ball gowns just dragging (laughs) across the street. It's like, do you know how much piss is on this sidewalk? Do you have any idea? Somehow I feel like Alessandro Michele would enjoy that. Yeah, It totally. adds to the patina of these $28,000 dresses. Of course. And while there were all of these very sort of classic old Hollywood gowns, there, as Mel said, there were a lot of looks that were sort of evoking a grittier side of Los Angeles. Like Miranda July was like literally dressed as some sort of like 1970s sex worker. Should we get into who was in the audience? Sure. Yeah, I think probably besides Macaulay Culkin walking the runway, which we'll get into in a second, the thing that got the most press was Gwyneth Paltrow, who was in the recreation of the Gucci suit, the red velvet Gucci suit. Corduroy? It was velvet from the Tom Ford heyday. Yeah, his, I believe, first collection that she wore the VMAs in 1996. And then last season, Alessandro Michele recreated it and she wore that. But the crazy thing is when you look at the photos from her at the show versus her in 1996, you cannot tell the difference. Yeah, it was ultimately like a better advertisement for Goop than Gucci even because (laughs) whatever she's doing is truly like death becomes her shit. Yeah, give me that jade egg, okay? (laughs) Give me that Tracy Anderson method. But yeah, Diane Keaton also looked totally amazing. I mean, with Gucci, you kind of... Gucci has such specific casting for their shows. Like, everyone's kind of androgynous and young and anemic looking. And with this show, while I loved seeing Macaulay Culkin, that was incredible. I also wish that there had been some older models and potentially some older actresses involved in this show because Hollywood isn't just about ingenues. It's about ingenues slowly turning into Norma Desmond type characters over time. Like this is a town where dreams go to die. Is that who Jared Leto was supposed to be? (laughs) Because Jared Leto was the oldest person by my (laughs) guesstimation on that runway. It was either Jared Leto or is Leto, Leto? It was either him or Miranda July. Right. Those were like the Gen X icons. But I feel like I would have liked to see someone older and maybe someone like a little less obvious than like a Diane Keaton. Like how amazing would it have been if Pam Greer walked in this show? Ooh, I was going to say Shelley Long. Yes, would love that. 
Yeah, why didn't they recreate a true Beverly Hills look? Oh, that would have been so good. Or like, or someone kind of on the more punk side of LA, like Kim Gordon was in the audience, but she would have made an amazing model, as would her daughter, who's actually a model. And also Angeline. Like Angeline really represents, again, like the dark underbelly Hollywood Babylon side of the city. She would have been a fantastic addition. Yeah, I think they were obviously on the runway trying to mimic old Hollywood costumes, and I didn't think a ton of them landed. Uh, And I was surprised that we didn't get, like about 10 years ago on Hollywood Boulevard, there was an older woman that was just dressed as Marilyn Monroe. And I was surprised we didn't get a Marilyn look. Well, yeah, but there were some very literal looks. Like, you know, you're like, oh, there's Cleopatra or there's Jean Harlow by way of Courtney Love or what have you. Or look, there's Ace Ventura. <laughs> totally. I thought those were the some of the best menswear looks. The Ace Ventura, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Totally. With like the cowboy hats and stuff. All right, so now that Gucci has had a show, who do we think is the next designer that should have an LA-based fashion show that we should definitely be invited to? I've always thought that Rick Owens should have a fashion show in that walkway with the suspended rock that's by LACMA. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think it might just be called The Rock. I don't know. It's a fabulous work of art. It's stunning. Levitated mass is Levitated mass. Rick, come on. It's perfect. And Rick Owens, a lot of people forget, is was originally a Los Angeles-based designer. Yeah. Come back home, Rick. We've got pigs in a blanket waiting for you. <laughs> so that's it for fashion. Or really, the Gucci segment is what that was. Yeah. Shall we move on to Kardashians? Sure. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. So before we get into the thing that everyone wants us to talk about, let's just acknowledge the fact that Halloween just happened and the Kardashians brought the looks as per usual. So do you want to do a rundown of what everyone wore? Let's start with Kim. Kim was in some sort of space cowboy outfit that she bullied Mugler to make for her. We should clarify, she bullied Thierry Mugler to make for her, who has retired from the business for many years and now I guess is just making couture Halloween costumes for her. Yeah, because the dress that he designed for her for the Camp Met Gala in 2019 was the first time he had designed something since he basically retired, right? Yeah, and this is the second thing I can recall. But yeah, it was a combination of two looks that he's done before, which is slutty cowgirl and slutty robot. But it legit looked like there was a bottle of Thierry Mugler Angel like between (laughs) her tits. Next up... Kravis did a true romance, which we saw that coming. We saw that coming, but I'm sorry. I love true romance as much as the next person, but his obsession with this movie is a little weird. Yeah. And how he forces it upon each of his wives or soon to be wives. Well, it's more like, have you heard of other movies? Like watch Badlands for a change, (laughs) you know, like what's anyway, you know how you keep writing uh, you're so cool on each other from the film. And that's the name of the love theme from True Romance that Hans Zimmer did. It's actually taken from the Carl off piece that is in Badlands. Okay. Oh, is it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's what Hans Zimmer was referencing. Oh, that's cool. And then they also did Edward Scissorhands. This felt like a lot of work. For two people that have young children that celebrate Halloween, that you guys did two separate photo shoots. Yeah, I kind of hate how every celebrity has like 10 costumes now. But you know who didn't have 10 costumes? Our girl, Kendall Jenner, who turned 26 this week, I think. Yeah. Happy birthday, Kenny. She looked amazing. This is my favorite look. I think it's so cool to have a birthday around Halloween. Maybe not when you're a kid, because maybe that's gilding the lily to like have a party and then trick or treat. But as an adult, what a great... No, it's terrible. Well, you know, Jeremy's birthday is Halloween. Oh. And the whole thing about it is that there's 10,000 events that compete with your birthday party. Like you can never just have a birthday party and it's never about you because everyone's dressed up in their fucking costumes, taking selfies and what have you, you know? Right. Kendall played... 
Lisa Marie's character from Mars Attacks. Yes, which was listed on IMDb as Martian Girl. So Lisa Marie is sort of a forgotten, not to be confused with Lisa Marie Presley, Lisa Marie was Tim Burton's girlfriend for a long time and just had major looks in a bunch of his films, starting with Ed Wood, where she plays Vampira, which would be the inspiration for Elvira. She was Martian Girl in Mars Attacks, and then she was also in Sleepy Hollow. And she was just like an it girl. Like, she was always in the party pages in Vogue and stuff. Like, she was very chic. Penelope, Uh, Courtney's daughter. Yes, Penelope was Cher from Clueless. It feels a little weird to be talking about someone's child's Halloween costume, but... She looked great. It was. I think it was really cute. It was cute, wholesome fun. You know, what was also cute, wholesome fun is that Kylie and Chris were dressed as cats together. I mean, they both had, like, I give up costumes. Or not I give up, like, they just didn't care to put in the time this year. Good. I feel like you and I, we both went out separately, but we had (laughs) I give up looks. Yeah, we did. We did. What was I going to say? Well, okay, Chris did go on Ellen as Cruella DeVille additionally, so that was, like, her look with the wig and the full beat and all of that. Um, But I thought that... Kylie and Travis looked really cute. Travis was Michael Myers from You mean Hollywood. Travis Scott, not to be confused with. Scott yes, Sparkle. Travis Scott was Michael Myers. Sometimes you can really make a low-effort Halloween costume work. Like, I was what I deemed a fashionable witch just because I had bought a dress two years ago that I haven't worn and uh, just got a child's witch hat and made a look happen. Yeah, all you really need is the is the hat, you know? Like, I was just lazy and couldn't be bothered to put together a costume, so I was a cat, just wore cat ears and a leopard dress, called it a day. And thank you guys for sending in all of your Sex and the City-related costumes. Oh, yeah, it was really cute to see. It was cute to see everyone do the babushka look for a man just like that. See, it's already the most iconic look from the reboot. And it hasn't even happened yet. It hasn't even happened yet. All right, we'll talk about the thing that everyone wanted us to talk about. Can I tell you guys, we were going to do an episode rewatch this week, and between the uh, Sex and the City Airbnb and the Pete and Kim of it all, we were like, all right, we got (laughs) to go talk about this. So right before Halloween, People Magazine ran these exclusive photos of Kim and Pete Davidson holding hands at Not Scary Farm going through a ride. What do you mean, not scary farm? I thought it was Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah, but during Halloween, it's not scary farm. I just think it's weird that they would like completely change the name of. It's like there. It's not like Disney World's calling Disney World Spooky World or something just because it's Halloween. All right, you can take it up with them. Whatever. Anyway, they were seen together. Some enterprising person that I'm sure was on that roller coaster before or after that saw their photo come up was like, you know what? I'll buy that one. You're not in this photo. That's fine. I'll just buy this one. Yeah. And obviously sold it to People Magazine. The initial word was they were friends. Nothing's going on. We didn't think much of it. But then Kim went to New York this week for the Wall Street Journal Innovators Dinner. And then Page Six posted details that Pete took her to Staten Island, which is where he's from, to his favorite pizza place for dinner. We obviously have thoughts about this, but first we wanted to play a call that we got from our friend Patrick Sandberg. He is a writer, creative director, and co-host of the very fabulous podcast, Not Really, which we will link to in the show notes. And he has provided us with a lovely dissertation on why Kim and Pete are meant to be. I'm seeing a lot of confusion spread about why Kim Kardashian is potentially dating Pete Davidson. And also a lot of people wondering, how does Pete Davidson bag these chicks? And I think when you look at Kim's dating history, this makes perfect sense. But I think in a general sense, he's tall, he's funny, he's sort of quote-unquote normal, lives in his mom's basement, there's a humility about him, and he has a giant penis. Kim is a size queen. Um, It's sort of like a fact of behavioral science that you know, the hotter you are, the less dazzling the personality is. I mean, hot people can certainly be smart. Hot people can definitely be weird. But you can kind of go back and trace how we got to where Kim is. And I love this rebound for her. I think it makes perfect sense. You know, Ray J was hot and fun. Um, 
and actually dangerous, a little too wild. Um, it's super exciting when you're young, but look what happened. Big mistake. Well, I mean, or was it? Reggie Bush was by far the hottest guy that Kim dated. She was actually sort of pathetic over that man, and it was incredible to watch. But he's also very stoic. He's a little quiet. He has sort of a very basic personality. I think because he was so attractive and so gifted athletically, he never had to develop an intellectually exciting point of view. Chris Humphreys was also super hot, but he was sort of a doofus. I think Kim was a little demoralized by what a caveman he was, even though I'm sure it was, like, really hot in bed. Um, And then you look at Kanye, who's, like, maybe technically less hot than all of the above, but he's incredibly brilliant, he's charismatic, and troubled. Um, What we like to call the perfect storm. Uh, So he became the one, and he kind of opened a door in Kim's consciousness that will never close, if you think about it. Like, you don't just get taste and then lose it like kim will absolutely never save the world the same again so i think you know following all of that she can't go back to a boring guy and pete davidson's eccentric he's culturally interesting he has things going on um he's actually really smart because all good comics are and he's different enough from kanye and has that humility about him where i completely get it and I think that also we cannot discount the fact that watching Courtney's midlife crisis unfold with Travis Barker, in which she's literally acting like a cheerleader in high school who fell in love with the punk kid, is making a lot of people jealous. It's making me jealous. I've never found a hot punk guy to date, and I am punk. So fuck her. And Kim's sitting there with a front row seat watching the whole thing right in her fucking face. And she's like, I want to have fun with a guy and act stupid. So she goes to, like, you know, Knott's Berry Farm with Pete Davidson. Like, you know, she just wants to fuck off right now. I love this for her. Love Kim. Totally support everything she does. I think he is correct about Kim being attracted to Pete Davidson's humility. Because that's the opposite of Kanye. That's something, well, Kanye is also brilliant, tortured, bipolar, what have you. He's not a humble person. You know, he has a song called I Am a God, whereas Pete Davidson is like making jokes about his golem eyes. Yeah, I think that there's something safe about Pete Davidson. I mean, he's basically become the David Spade of this generation. Or the Adam Duritz, although he's way hotter than him. He is. Another thing that I haven't seen people mention is one of the things that connected Kim and Kanye is having parents have passed away and I think Kim and Pete relate to each other because they both have dads that passed away early in their lives totally but it's also correct that I'm sure as Kim has been in the throes of her divorce with Kanye having to watch her sister have this whirlwind romance with Travis Barker and sort of get engaged while her love life is falling apart must have been a very difficult thing. And yet again, Kim has one-upped Courtney. I think she wants to have fun, but she also loves attention. And I mean, that is quite a power move to get Kim to come to Staten Island. I know. Have you ever been to Staten Island? No, I mean, as Sex in the City taught us, you only go to Staten Island for really good dick. Like Samantha did in the first episode of season three. You think she took the ferry? You think she like the girl? She took the Staten Island ferry. <laughs> she definitely did not take the ferry. Do you think she was drunk like Charlotte? She's like, I'm a good person. Where is he? I mean, if Pete Davidson was smart, he would charter a boat. <laughs> you don't want to be necessarily on the ferry, but a boat trip in New York is kind of fabulous. You know, a short little journey. Well, I can't wait until next week. Hopefully there'll be more updates. I know. By the way, this could combust. They could be done. I can't imagine this being a very long-term thing. But that's exactly what Kim needs. A safe, fun, and ultimately meaningless fling. Yeah, with some guy that like worships the ground that she walks on. So his relationship history, it was that we know of. It was Cassie David Wright, then Ariana Grande. Uh, yes. Then Kate well, Beckinsale? Yeah. But that kind of felt like a fling in the way that maybe this Kim relationship is. Yeah. And then he was with the Bridgerton girl and was with her in London all summer. And then that has Well, you're skipping over Kaya Gerber and <gasps> Margaret Qualley. 
fuck. <laughs> You're right. He's really like packed it all in. He's actually the fling king. Yeah. He's like a real, what was that? That was awful. He's like Mr. Pussy. You just go to go to Pete Davidson for a short time and then set him free. Well, I don't want to trigger you, but there was a Dane Cook film called Good Luck Chuck where it's like whenever he fucks a chick, they find their husband after him and he falls in love with Jessica Alba and he doesn't want to sleep with her because God forbid she goes on to meet her husband. That seems like a cute premise. If it wasn't starring Dane Cook, yeah. <laughs> And finally, on the other coast, Kanye has started up Sunday service again. Thank God. Hallelujah. And this time, it looked like something out of Marilyn Manson's dope show video. And I bring up Marilyn Manson because he was there along with Justin Bieber. That was like the trio I didn't know I needed. It was kind of fab. We do have to play you clips from this YouTube video that's just like the scariest moments at Sunday service because it was also pretty weird. Like Justin Bieber clutching Marilyn Manson's yes. shoe at points. It was that that was visually really insane. Like, I don't think it was weird. The part where Justin Bieber was basically, you know, bless the trees and the earth and the this and the that. It's like, great. Sure. Fine. But I don't understand what the crying and touching Marilyn Manson's feet, which were clothed in these like Balenciaga rubber boots. It was all very surreal. It was at a certain point Kanye breaks down and is just clutching at Marilyn Manson's shoulder. Is Marilyn Manson just like the Marina Abramovic of this situation? Because that's how everyone's acting, as if he has this insane energy that is like emanating out of his body and um, consuming people. I don't know. I'm very interested to see if Kanye turns this into a legit church for no other reason than for tax purposes. Yeah. I mean, I hope he starts a church. Why not? We could go. It'd be fun. We still haven't gone to Mosaic yet, which is a huge oversight. I don't know if they're having in-person services again. They are, because I looked into it. We have to make a reservation. We should finally go at the end of the year. Yeah. It really does feel like Kanye's Sunday services are doing a similar thing to Mosaic, which is basically just like AA for people that like don't have drinking problems. And enjoy a sans serif font. Yeah. Anyway, you guys got to see this video. We'll put it in the show notes. It's really something to see. I guess that's it. But lastly, I just want to say I really appreciate all of you who have called into our hotline. Um, Some of the messages that we've gotten we're saving for future shows. It's been really fun. What's the number again, Lauren? Why, it's 323-486-6773. And to answer some of you, uh, yeah, we actually do listen to all the calls. We do. So thank you for that, guys. Yeah, and uh, next week will be an episode rewatch. We'll be doing Boy Interrupted. So get Boy, ex- oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so get excited. All right. I love you, Chelsea. Love you, Lauren. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>